Well, these, these uh, Bible Army programs are wonderful. It's just that, uh, you know, having all these people come together uh, just because of the simplicity of the power of the word. And I might add, it's good to be back here at Angwin at PUC and to stand here again and to be able to open the word of God. Um, if you'll permit me, I'll tell you something exciting that's happening. You know, Amazing Facts has been trying to do something to reach every generation. And a few years ago, we did a program for the kids called Amazing Adventure. And uh, I think more adults got baptized from that, but a lot of kids did too. You know, you keep it simple and the adults go, oh, I gotta get it now. But even here, all the kids come up. It's such a thrill for us. And then a couple of years ago, we broadcast a series from the uh, uh, Cedar Lakes Academy in Michigan. And uh, what did I say? What's the name of the academy where I was? Great Lakes. Sorry. Yeah, well, we were getting it in Michigan. That's true. For teenagers. And we've been praying for the opportunity to do something, especially for the college age group. Because, you know, statistically, and they've just finished a study, uh, Barna Research on this, that as many as 70% of the young people in that age group, from 17 to 22, drift from their faith, at least temporarily, some return. And so we are going to Southern University and uh, we're going to be uplinking from October 10 to 13 a program called The Ultimate Purpose. And going to really be talking about what is the ultimate purpose of life. So please pray for that. It'll be on 3ABN. It'll be broadcast to all the universities, online. Anyone can watch it. But uh, we hope you'll just pray for that because uh, I'm above my skill set when I talk to college students. And so we're just praying the Holy Spirit will, will reach out to them. You know, uh, I was talking earlier about uh, how I love the word and um, Christ is really in all of the teachings of the Bible but you know it's possible for us to grow up in the church and to be surrounded with Bibles and to be surrounded with Christian cliches and religious ceremony and all the fanfare and still really know nothing about the Bible uh, sometimes we can confuse owning a Bible for really knowing the Bible and for knowing Jesus. The Bible tells us in the book of Amos chapter 8, the days are coming, the Lord says, when there'll be a famine, not a famine for bread or thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And people will wander from north to south and east to west, searching for the word of God and not be able to find it. And I've often wondered if the reason that prophecy is so amazing is because he's not talking about a famine for the word of God in some pagan country. There's always a famine for the word of God in the pagan lands. It's talking about a famine for the word of God among God's people. And that's a frightening thought that you could actually have a people. I mean, even now that we've got the Bible on computers, I've got, oh, half a dozen Bible programs on my computer. I've got the Bible on my phone. I've got it on my iPad and, and uh, all the other contraptions and Bibles and Bibles on the shelf. If Bible on the internet will read to you for free. I mean, we're just surrounded with the opportunity for biblical truth. Sometimes absent makes the heart grow fonder and sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. 
There was a day where people would die for little sections of the Bible. They were handwritten and they'd risk their lives to obtain a portion of the Gospel of John, a few words from God. And now we're actually drowning in the possibility of hearing the Word of God and there's an indifference. It's not the first time it's happened. I want to direct you to a place in the Bible. Please go to the book of Chronicles, sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Story in the middle of God's Word. Look at that, just right there. 2 Chronicles 34, I'll start with the first verse. Let me just say a word of prayer. Loving Father, we just pray right now that your spirit will come into this place. You've promised that if we seek, we'll find. And if we search for you with all of our hearts, that um, we'll realize you, that you'll come into our presence. And Lord, right now we're gathered in this place, especially because we're seeking after you. We want to know you, your word better. And we ask you would remove any distraction Please be with me, forgive my sins, and, and I pray ultimately it'll be your voice that we hear. Have the word come alive for us, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The last good king in the Old Testament was King Josiah. What's really strange is he had a really bad father, Manasseh. One of the worst kings, which tells you that you can even have good kids come from a bad family. And some very good kings, like Hezekiah, had bad kids like Manasseh. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left straight on for in the eighth year of his reign while he was still young now if he begins to reign when he's eight years old in the eighth year of his reign how old is he teenager 16 years old got a heart for God I don't believe this idea that you know you should just anticipate the kids need to rebel while they're teenagers and I think that they can be the greatest workers for God during that age he began to seek the God of his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem. Now, you notice things aren't happening quickly. It's going eight years, and then in the eighth year of his reign, and then the twelfth year, he begins to purge. He's acting now on his convictions. He's saying, you know, I was young before, and I had a lot of advisors, but now I'm developing a little more of my own authority, and I want to do something. I don't want to just be knowing what the truth is. I want to do something to have an influence for good. And he actually exerted his authority, began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, these false places of religion, and the wooden images, and the carved images, and the molded images. He began to eliminate idolatry because at least he knew the Ten Commandments. And they broke down the altars of the Baals in his presence. And the incense altars, which were above them, he cut down. And the wooden images and the carved images and the molded images. You notice that he begins to effect a revival. He starts to act upon what he knows. And even fulfilled a prophecy burning the bones of the false priests on their altars to 
basically uh, pollute those altars so they wouldn't use them anymore. And then jump down to verse 8. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged land in the temple, he got rid of all the idols. Remember, his father Manasseh had set up idols in the temple of the Lord. Hard to believe. When he had purged the land in the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Maaseah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord during the 55 years of the reign of Manasseh had just fallen apart. It had been neglected. And he said, look, we need to restore the house of God. So here you're seeing the makings of a great revival. They're missing something, but he's acting on what he knows. And they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and they delivered the money that was brought into the house of the Lord that the Levites who kept the doors had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and from Ephraim and from the remnant of Israel. Ten of the tribes in the north had been carried away, but some of the remainders now were worshiping in Jerusalem. From all of Judah and Benjamin, which they had brought back to Jerusalem, and they put it in the hand of the workmen, and they began to work and to rebuild and repair the house of the Lord because it had broken down. And it says in verse 12, and the men did the work faithfully. And go to verse 14. So they're purging the house of the Lord, they're doing construction, they're renovating, they're really getting back into the dark corners of the temple. And keep in mind, what temple is this? You got three, you got Moses' temple, you got the temple of Solomon, and you got the temple of Nehemiah, Ezra, was refurbished by King Herod. So there's three main temples you find in the Bible on earth. The most glorious was the temple of Solomon. It was the most majestic. It was one of the wonders of the world back then. There was like a billion dollars of gold in that temple. This is the temple that had been neglected. And it was massive and sprawling. And there were corridors and cubby holes and they had vaults for the money and the treasures. And so they're really getting in, they're cleaning it out. And in the process of doing this, it says in verse 14, when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, you know, they had a treasury, they had a safe in the back of the bank in the temple of the Lord where they kept their treasures. And they start to clean it out to get all the money to invest in restoring it. Lo and behold... Hilkiah the priest is digging around back there and there's dust probably swirling up everywhere and he's passing things out. He says, maybe we can turn this into some money and, and fix up the temple of the Lord. And he goes, what? What's this? And he comes backing out of the vault and he's got a scroll, but it's an old, old scroll. It says, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't read that and wonder to myself, found? In order for something to be found, it must first be what? You mean here they got a temple and they got a kingdom. They are God's people. They got God's temple. And somehow they had misplaced their Bible. Do you understand the gravity of that? Do you know what that says to us today? That you could have an international movement and you could have all the organization and you could have all the structure and you could have all the ceremony and you could have the history and you could have the buildings and the institutions and the hospitals and the education 
and misplaced the book? The people of God had been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, longer than our church. And the high priest comes backing out of his vault and he unrolls this book and all the dust flies off of it and he has found the original copy probably of Deuteronomy written by the hand of Moses. But not only, it's not like they found the original, they had misplaced the original copy. They had misplaced that whole section. Because they're going, wow, what's this? Guess what we found? We've been just passing some of it on orally all these years because we misplaced the original. We didn't really know what it said. We hadn't actually read the writing that Moses had written. They'd lost track of it. Now, you can understand how that would happen. If you've read the history of the kings... They had good kings and they had bad kings and they had bad, 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 good, bad, good, good, bad, bad. And, you know, their history, they just started getting really off track and losing their heritage. These are the people of God. The reason they existed is God had led them out of Egypt through the wilderness to Mount Sinai, delivered his word to them. Everything they had was built around the word of God. Think about it. When you are up in space and you look at planet Earth, if you were to pick a country and say, what country would you call the Holy Land? Most of us would probably say Israel. And then you say, all right, in Israel, what would be the holy city? Probably say Jerusalem. That'd be accurate, biblically. And if you were to say, in Jerusalem, where's the holy mount? You'd say, Mount Moriah. What was on the holy mount? Holy Temple. In the Holy Temple, got a couple of holy places. Got the holy place, you got the Holy of Holies. What makes the Holy of Holies so holy? There's a golden box inside. What's inside the golden box? A couple of rocks. But what makes those rocks unique? The word of God was inscribed there. Now, inside the ark, you had the Ten Commandments. Outside the ark, they used to have the covenant, but they misplaced it. And you can understand when you've got hostile kings putting idols in the temple, some priests probably, the same reason the ark is missing today, some priests said, you know what, to keep this from being lost, we better hide the book of Moses back here in this corner where they won't destroy it. And finally, they found it again. They found the book of the law written by Moses. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. You know, it's a good idea to come to church because sometimes you hear the word of God in the house of the Lord. That was a good place for an amen. Amen. You know, hopefully you're still hearing the word of God opened in the house of the Lord and you can discover the book of the Lord in the house of the Lord. So they carried the book to the king, bringing the king word and first they kind of have a preamble, all that has been committed to your servants, they're doing, they're doing the renovation and they've gathered the money, I'm in verse 17, that's 2 Chronicles 34, 17, and they've gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and delivered it to the hand of the overseers and Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. He didn't even tell him the name of the book. He says, it's a book like 
wonder what it says. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it happened that when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Now, you know what that tells me? He hadn't heard it before. Isn't that right? Is that, is that a safe reading of the text? He's like going, oh, what? This is a king who loved the Lord and he's following all he knows, but there was a whole lot that had been lost. He was just trying to be godly based on the oral traditions and a few things, uh, maybe manuscripts that they had or some of the writings of the prophets, but the foundational teachings, the writings of Moses, they've at least lost a big portion of it. I think he read Deuteronomy because, well, because of the king's response. It says he tore his clothes and the king commanded Hilkiah and Ahikam and the son of Shaphan, Abdon and the son of Micah, Shaphan the scribe and Asia, a servant of the king, saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord according to all that is written in this book. I think it had Deuteronomy, and when he got done with Deuteronomy 28, the blessings and the cursings, God outlines, Moses outlined perfectly what was going to happen to Israel if they forsook the Lord. Keep in mind, Josiah witnessed 10 of the tribes being carried off to Assyria. Israel as a nation had been decimated. And the king is saying, wow, everything Moses said happened. It said in Deuteronomy they'd be carried off by their adversaries if they forsook the Lord. And he's thinking we're next because we have too. I know what my father did. He's thinking of Manasseh. But it's still, it just strikes me that here you could have God's people called by his name that have a nation, a history, a temple, ceremony, and for them to misplace the Bible. That can still happen. You know, one of the things that um, really struck me when I joined the Adventist church is I knew what Adventists believe better than most Adventists before I ever came to an Adventist church. And it wasn't because I was a great scholar. I'm still not. But I read the Bible. And then I read Great Controversy and Desire of Ages and Daniel and the Revelation and uh, Stephen Haskell's books. And so I kind of knew the foundational teachings of what the Adventists believe. And when I came to the first few Adventist churches I visited and wanted to study with people, I was so... Well, I'm looking for the right word. This happens more and more. (laughs) Mystified. That's a good word. I was mystified. I was flummoxed. I've been wanting to use that word. Flummoxed. (laughs) I read that once in Reader's Digest. I've been waiting for a chance to use it. (laughs) That here were these people who were members of this church and they had no idea what they believed. I shouldn't say they had no idea. They kind of knew what the routine was and what the culture was. But when I'd start asking about some of the specifics about the foundation and the message and the three angels' messages, they're just like, yeah, sounds good. It just wouldn't... Now that was 30 years ago. I'm not sure it's gotten better. And I'm a pastor. I'm an Adventist pastor. And I kind of know what's going on out there. Travel all over the country and the world. And 
a lot of Seventh-day Adventist members are sort of living on the crumbs that they get uh, some from what they get once a week in church a very thin devotional life and if the truth be known the average Seventh-day Adventist Christian the average Christian across the country spends a whole lot more time having their values defined by the media than by the Word of God and if we read a little devotional book that begins with one scripture and then kind of expounds a little bit we say I've had my worship one verse maybe a day or two well you can't live on that if you were to translate into that into food we'd all starve to death now especially if we're going to be a people in the last days who are going to defend our faith when Jesus said you're going to be brought before kings and rulers to give a testimony of what the gospel is we need to be really digging into the word of God to be able to do that man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God the Bible says that the word is like food for our soul Jeremiah 15 16 your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart for I'm called by your name O Lord God of hosts Job 23 verse 12 I've not departed from the commandment of his lips notice I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food and then of course Jesus says in Matthew 4 he says man will not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God we need to learn to feed ourselves every member you can't trust us the pastors to do it you need to know what you believe how do you know your pastor and this could be me how do you know your pastor's not getting mixed up oh, some of them get mixed up do we all know that so you personally need to have your own Bibles in your lap and that's the other thing is I've just noticed more and more people don't even bring their Bibles to church they say well I got the Bible on my phone well the screens that big and I suppose and I'm not trying to give you a hard time but I don't know about you but somehow it just what are you doing I'm studying <laughs> I like to get it out where you can yeah now I do study my Bible every day on my computer but my screens that big and you can do your notes and stuff I think we need to bring our Bibles to church and uh, one reason I say that quite honestly I'm biased when people sit there with their phones and they say oh pastor I'm studying my Bible you're texting people half the time <laughs> you're doing Facebook I've got my Bible on here <laughs> boy I tell you you know I see some of these kids text including my own and to me it's amazing I still type with two fingers honestly and my kids can type on a keyboard that big with two fingers it's like lightning and I'll see him They'll be going like this, and I'll say, what are you doing? So I just sent someone a message. They said, what did you send them? Well, it was a Gettysburg address. Just <laughs> the whole thing. We need to know our Bibles, friends. So when Josiah heard this, he said, you know what? This has really touched my heart, but I can't keep it to myself. We need to bring the nation together. And he called a national assembly. And you go to verse 29. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem 
And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people, notice not just the leaders, all the leaders, all the priests, all the Levites, all the people, great and small. He didn't say, we're just going to read this to the pastors or the priests. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. You know, you can read the whole book of Deuteronomy in a couple of hours. And he stood there, and they basically the book of Deuteronomy is the closing sermon of Moses before he dies. And the king reads this to the, the whole nation. They gather as many as could squeeze into the courtyard of the Lord. And he read the word of God in their hearing. It doesn't say he preached. It doesn't say he expounded. And you know, sometimes I thought to myself, if I haven't prepared well for a message, at least I ought to get up and read the Bible to the people. Then they'll get something. There's a precedent for that. And the king stood in his place. Notice that. The king stood in his place. And he made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and with all of his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. The king stood. He took a stand. Young king. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take their stand for it. So it's one thing to read the word of the Lord and it's another thing to make to make the people take a stand. It says the king made a covenant before the Lord to not only read the Bible, because if you're just a reader of the word, you know what it says in Revelation? Blessed are those who read and hear and keep the things that are written therein. It's one thing to say, we're going to all get together Bible army, we're going to read the Bible. It's another thing to say, we're going to make a covenant and keep the things that we're reading. That's what it means to believe in God. You know, we've gotten this very watered-down idea of what belief in God is. When Daniel went to the lion's den and God sent an angel and shut the lion's mouth, the Bible says when the king came, it says Daniel was delivered because he believed in God. Well, how did Daniel believe in God? He was willing to go to the lion's den rather than deny his time with God. He did something about what he believed. The Bible tells us whosoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. What kind of belief? Belief means to belive. It means to live in what you say you give credence to. If you believe the word of God, you say, oh yeah, I believe it, I believe it. Jesus told a parable one time. Man had two sons. He said, boys, I need you to go work in the field today. And the first son said, I'm on my way, dad. I believe it. But he never went. And the other one said, I don't want to go. I had other plans. But he repented and he went. And Christ then says, which of the two did the will of their father in heaven? Which one really believed? The one who said, Lord, Lord, or the one who did the will of his Father in heaven. So the king said, let's make a covenant now to keep the word of God. So I'm praying that as we read the Bible and as we have a revival in our devotions here, that we'll always keep in mind that a revival really happens when there's reform and you do what you're reading and praying about. You notice one of the reasons is Josiah was a man after his... David's heart he followed his father David he followed the Lord with all of his heart but you notice he's not just saying yeah I think that's true he's doing something he's burning the idols that were in the kingdom does Jesus reign supreme in your mind or in your heart or do you have idols that need to get taken down 
Are there high places still to the devil in your kingdom? You know, the Bible tells us that uh, sin shall not have dominion over you. Who reigns in your mind? Does Jesus reign? Does he have control? Have you surrendered your life to him? Josiah said, we're going to do something about it. Not only did he take the altars out of the temple of God, he then burned them. He was pretty radical. He was pretty drastic in wanting to get rid of the things that were not according to the word of God. And after they took their stand, could I pause there for just a second? You know, twice it said here, and it made me think of something. Talked about the king took his place. He stood in his place, and then he asked the people to take a stand. Uh, someone has probably already said this at a Bible army camp. You would think Ephesians chapter 6, if you can talk about the army, you've got to talk about the armor of God, right? Go there for just a second. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren. Now, Paul here is summarizing everything he said in the previous five chapters. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why do you need power? Why do you need might? If you're going to be a soldier at the desk, do you need might? Or is it a soldier fighting on the field that needs might? The reason you need might is to fight. The good fight of faith. Finally, strong in the Lord, power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you might run from the enemy with all the armor on. People might say, I got the, all the armor of God, but I'm going to run at the sign of trouble. Put on the armor, and there's something else you need to do with the armor. Stand. Take your stand in the faith. That you might stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, he says it again, Take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand. Stand. There you got it three times. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth and having... Before he even gets into the specifics of the armor, what's the emphasis? Stand, stand, stand. You know, just tonight, and I don't know if... I'll probably mess this up, but an observation came to me. just listening to some of the different testimonies you know amazing facts I didn't found amazing facts amazing facts was founded by uh, three great ministers one of whom is still alive Bill May Cyril Miller who is still alive and Joe Cruz well, they had all been in Texas together you know the Alamo was in Texas they learn how to stand there don't they I remember hearing a story one time about uh, President Kennedy went to go to the Alamo on 4th of July or something and, and after greeting all the people and doing the press op, he said to his uh, attendant, he said, uh, is there a back door where we can get out of here? And they said, Mr. President, if there was a back door, it wouldn't be the Alamo. <laughs> so Cyril Miller and uh, Joe Cruz and Bill May started Amazing Facts and Joe Cruz in particular had incredible courage to take some very unpopular stands. And Amazing Facts had some rough years in the early years because they took some, you know, positions that were pretty, um, I thought, pretty biblical. Any of you ever read the book Creeping Compromise? 
or Enemy at the Gate or Reaping the Whirlwind. Those books made it, had a big impact. Joe Cruz was a brave, brave, brave preacher. He said things that just were not popular, but you know, when you heard it, you thought, I think he's right. He took a stand. Well, you know, I was just listening. Someone mentioned David Ashrick, who went to Black Hills Evangelistic Program with Louie and Carol Torres that worked with Joe Cruz. And they mentioned Steve Wolberg, who was an Amazing Facts evangelist. And I am Amazing Facts evangelist. And John Bradshaw, with It Is Written, was an Amazing Facts evangelist. And I don't know how many people here have been affected by one of those ministries, but I bet you can point all of them back to a man who took a stand. The courage of one man who said, this is the truth, and I'm going to take a stand for it, has a long impact. And so I just, wanted, I just wanted to say that even though I know in some circles his name is still not popular, I am so proud of Joe Cruz and what he did and what he stood for. And I still listen to his tapes and read his books and say, amen, because he said, this is our message. And he didn't really have anything new or unique. He just took what the Adventists used to believe. God willing, in two days, um, well, I hope it doesn't get down to him. It's supposed to be a surprise. I guess the surprise will be out of the bag. But um, there's an Adventist evangelist. Any of you ever hear Byron Spears? They call him the walking Bible. If you ever heard evangelist Byron Spears preach, we invited him to Central. I think he was like 90 years old. He came and preached. He had polio in his youth, so he couldn't walk. So we sat him down in a chair. The deacons brought the chair up, and they sat it on the platform. And um, this 90-year-old man preached for over an hour without ever touching a Bible must have given 75, 100 scriptures from memory. Any of you know, you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have heard Elder Byron Spears preach? Well, he turns 100 in a few days, and I'm going down for his birthday party. Because, I, you know why? I'm so busy. But I told Karen, I said, I want to go. I want to honor a man that loves the word of God that much. And he, he invited me, so I want to go. But it's a surprise I'm coming. He doesn't know, so don't say anything. <laughs> and those of you who are watching this stream right now, don't say anything. <laughs> but you know, I was so impressed because you don't hear that kind of evangelism anymore. Karen and I went to one of Elder Spears' evangelistic meetings in the 70s. And he walked back and forth with a cane night after night. Must have been 30 meetings. You know, those evangelists used to go for months. But he did 30 meetings in his 70s, must have been 75, 76, walking back and forth with two canes, never touched a Bible, night after night, 75, 100 scriptures, long ones, verbatim, from memory, King James. And if you came up to him and you quoted a Bible, if you missed a comma, he'd let you know about it. <laughs> Isn't that right? And I said, brother, you got such a phenomenal memory. He says, I don't really have a very good memory. I'll forget your name next time I see you. But he said, it's a gift. He says, the Lord just helps me remember his word. You know, he claimed that promise where Jesus said, these words that I speak, the Holy Spirit will bring them to your remembrance. 
And have you ever experienced that before? I think that's a promise you can claim. Well, I think we need to return to the, the roots of our message that is a Bible-based people in a Bible-based message. Now, what did Josiah do then? After they took their stand, you read the next chapter, chapter 35. It says, now Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. They hadn't been doing it. He said, I ain't read it in the Bible. We haven't done this. He thought, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it the way Moses said. And he had the priest look through it, and he says, how come we haven't been doing that? Can you imagine that? The people of God, kingdom of God, temple of God, no Passover for years. So they finally, they keep the Passover again. And then you read in verse 18, there had been, I'm in uh, 2 Chronicles 35, verse 18, there had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel. Keep in mind, Samuel was before any king. Josiah is the last good king. Through all those years, those hundreds of years, they'd just been neglecting the word of God and, and obeying a point of truth that they had lost sight of. And yet here they had the temple. They had a kingdom. They had a big badge that says, we are the chosen people of God. They'd lost their Bible and they'd been neglecting the Passover and, and their whole existence was about being delivered from Egypt and the Passover lamb. It's like Christians forgetting the Lord's Supper. That's what it was like. And Josiah said, it says it here in the Bible. We're going to do it. And the Lord poured out his spirit and he blessed the people and he blessed the kingdom and he protected them during the time of Josiah. You know, friends, I think we need to have a revival in our personal devotions and our Bible reading. The Bible is the armor. The word of God is the sword. And we need to know how to use it. Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Do you struggle with sin and temptation? Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Follow me. This is the way I, I reason this in my mind. You can't get to heaven if you don't love Jesus. You might know all kinds of scripture, but if you don't love Jesus, you might pray long prayers, but if you don't love Jesus, you may have gone to church, you may have great grandparents and be four or five generations in the church. There's no value in that heritage if you don't love Jesus. You don't get credit for that. You can't love somebody you don't know. And in order for you to know the Lord, you need to spend time with him. And that doesn't mean a fleeting moment. You know, one of the most common concerns I hear when I do marriage counseling and from my wife is about quality time. It's one thing to say, oh, we've been together all day, but you haven't spoken to me. It's like we're not connecting, you know. And I wonder if the Lord feels that way too sometimes. I was in church half the day. Yeah, but we never talked. It's possible for us to go through all the mechanics kind of robotically and never realize I'm not really spending time with the Lord. You can't love someone you don't know. The way that you get to know anybody is you communicate. You talk to them, they talk to you. Communication. 
I, I know one time I was Skyping Karen from some foreign country, and I could see her picture on the screen, but I got no audio. And so I'm just having a one week. I said, well, I hope you're hearing me. No response. And so, you know, I, I, I'm talking and, or typing and texting, but I still saw her. It looked like she was on, but there's no response. And it just wasn't the same without any kind of feedback. I mean, you ever talk to someone and you don't get any response? I'll, I'll talk to my teenage boys and I'll say, now you guys will, you know, weed the flowers out front and you'll, uh, you know, take the trash out. And I said, can you grunt or something, acknowledge that you heard me? You know what I'm talking about? So you want the two-way communication. We talk to the Lord through prayer. He principally speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through providence. He speaks to us through Christian counsel. He speaks to us through nature, his spirit, not in that order. But principally, he speaks to us through his word. Wouldn't, if you could hear God, if you had a volume button somewhere on a speaker and it said, turn this up and hear the voice of God, would you be turning it up and keep it with you? If you had a little radio and it said, voice of God, turn it up, hear the words of God. Wow. But you do. In the Bible, he wants to speak to you. And now, you know, we've got, I got the whole Bible on my phone. I got it on my iPad. I got it in my car. And uh, you, I can listen to it all the time. And I've noticed that uh, same problem. I'll find myself, listen to the Bible, listen to CD of a radio preacher. And sometimes I think, well, you know, this might be more interesting. And you can get where you even lose that hunger for just hearing someone read the Word of God and just reading the Word of God. But whenever I do, I am so blessed. You know, if there was ever a time in history... When the church has had more to struggle with as far as distractions, the devil has more distractions. There are more voices right now that speak to us. Think about it. How many different ways now can you hear sounds? How much information comes into our minds, not just from TV screens and from phones and from billboards and from magazines and audio in our cars and just when we go in the house and all around us all the time we're hearing so many voices most of them are not sanctified by the Lord but there's just voices supermarkets someone was talking a minute ago in a testimony about they struggle with this worldly music in their mind and I leaned over and said to Dave Stewart I said that happens whenever I go to the market I hear these old songs they were rock and roll when I was a kid now they're called easy listening His same exact, you know what I'm talking about? Same exact thing. And so, since we're so surrounded with this, where sin abounds, grace needs to much more abound. And if you've got all these other messages that are constantly pouring into your senses, you must, you listening? You must consciously choose to counteract that by displacing it, by pouring into your mind the truth. Because if you're not pouring the mind into your truth, the only way to get the air out of a cup is to fill it with something else. If you're not pouring the living water into your life, then the prince, the power of the air will displace it and the devil's just going to start moving in. It's just gravity. 
If you make a conscious decision, what am I going to listen to today? Strategically, when am I going to listen to it? Make appointments with God. Every morning I get up, I've got a routine. I go and I sit down at my computer and I read through the Bible. I've got the Logos Bible software. I've got a lot of Bible software. And I'm reading at a different place every morning. I'm going through the Bible. And then I go through my personal Bible study where I may be writing articles where I have to read the Bible for that. And when I get in my car, I've got sermons and I've got uh, Christian stations that I listen to. And I try to surround myself with the Bible and good Christian books. Because you've got, and I don't know how people that don't do that, if you're a Christian, I don't know how you make it. Because there's so many other voices. Psalm 119 verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin. So do you want to have something to fight sin? You've got to fill your heart, fill your mind with the word of God to keep you, keep you from sinning. You know, we're getting near the end here and I'd like to, uh, I want to read a couple more verses. Joshua 1.8, Joshua said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate in it day and night that you might observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. You know, he doesn't say that you need to force yourself to read the Bible so you can obey me. As you read the word of God, power is released in your life to obey. You know, Jesus said, let there be light and there was light. The word has inherent power in it. Inherent in every command of God is the power to obey. It is in the word there is power itself. So as you read it, the power is provided to do it. Deuteronomy 11, Moses said, therefore you will lay up these words, and this is something that um, Josiah read. Therefore you will lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand that they should be as frontlets between your eyes. Notice, in the last days, where is the mark of the beast? In the hand or in the forehead? What's the opposite of the mark of the beast? These words of mine, notice, and the seal of God is in the word of God, isn't it? Isn't the seal of God in the word of God? Is the Sabbath commandment in the word of God? By the way, the only place you find the word holy in the Ten Commandments is in the Sabbath commandment, in the middle of God's law. It says, they will be a sign on your hand as frontlets between your eyes. Caveman theology, if you don't have the word of God in your hand and in your head, you will have the mark of the beast. Therefore, you'll lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they'll be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children. Speaking of them, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lay down, when you rise up and they shall be on your Facebook account. They will be on the doorposts of your house. Paul said, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let the word dwell in you richly in all wisdom. 1 Timothy 4.13, till I come, give attention to reading. Heard a parable about a man one time. He dreamed, and in his vision, he was walking through a desert, and he heard a voice say, reach down and pick up some of the stones. Tomorrow you'll be happy and you'll be sad. So he reached down, he picked up some of the stones, he put them in his pocket. The next day he was both happy and sad because he found out the stones were actually jewels. 
And he was happy he'd picked up some of them. He was sad he had not picked up more. And that's kind of the way it is with the Word of God. I'm thankful for what I have, but I think the longer I live, the more sad I am that I didn't take advantage of my youth. How many of you know that it's easier to remember the Word of God when you're younger? I wish when I was younger and my mind was much sharper and keener than it is now that I had spent a lot more time reading the Bible than the other goofy, empty, vain things that I spent time listening to and reading. I'm happy for what I have, but I sure would like to have had more. George Mueller said, a person's relationship to the Lord will be in direct proportion with the place the Word of God holds in their lives. Your relationship with God is going to be in direct proportion to where the Word of God is in your life. I'd like to close with this from the book Great Controversy, page 51. Satan well knew that the Holy Scriptures would enable men to discern his deceptions and withstand his power. It is by the word that even the Savior of the world had resisted his attacks. At every assault, Christ presented the shield of eternal truth, saying, It is written, To every suggestion of the adversary, he opposed in the wisdom of the power of the word. In order for Satan to maintain his sway over men and establish his authority, he must keep them in ignorance of the scriptures. Is it possible that he could do that even in the church? Is it possible that a people and a movement could misplace the book? Is it possible that you can have a famine for the Word of God in the land of God? And even though you may be raised in the church and going to church, do you have a relationship with the Lord through personal daily devotions where Jesus is in your heart? You know, that's, that's my plea, my appeal for you. And you know, I would suspect that some of us need to maybe do what Josiah did, to long after the Lord and to love the Lord and to say, Lord, I want to remove the idols that are in the kingdom. I'm going to draw near to you. The promise is if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Josiah said, Lord, I'm going to seek after you. I'm going to draw near to you. I am going to reform what I know you want me to reform. And when he did that, they found the word of God in the house of God. Some of you might be wondering, I read the Bible, but I don't get anything out of it. You know, I'm, it just doesn't seem interesting to me. Could it be there are idols in your life that are obstacles to your relationship with God? And His Word might come alive for you if you're willing to topple those things and say, Lord, I'm willing to burn these idols. I'm willing to sacrifice these things I know are coming between me and you. Some of us have lost our appetite for the Word of God because our taste buds have been burned by the things of the world. We are so hyper-stimulated with the entertainment of the devil that by comparison, the Bible seems bland. And we might need to turn off worldly media so that the Word of God will come alive. You know, I, I was amazed when I quit smoking how all of a sudden I could taste food again. And the Word of God, I think, will be sweet in our mouths again, like honey. If we can just say, Lord, I need to make some changes to appreciate that truth. You know, before I close with prayer, I trust that the word is not going to return void tonight, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you and you recognize that maybe you don't appreciate the word of God, you don't appreciate the Bible, 
It could be that you're taking it for granted or trying to live off what you're getting once a week in church. We need to have a revival of our personal devotions and draw near to God in our lives. Are you willing to join me tonight and say, Lord, by your grace, this place, this Sabbath, I want to say, I want a revival in my life. I want to commit myself to you. I'm willing to lay down every idol, cast out every foe, and Lord, please wash me now and I'll be whiter than snow. We can be cleansed through the word. That's what the Bible says. I hope that's happening right now. Is that your prayer? Would you like to stand with me? Let's ask him together. Heavenly Father, the Lord, it makes us shudder to think that history could be repeated and that we, your people, a movement that you've raised up with an incredible history and heritage and organization and institutions that it's possible that we can, over time, misplace the book and that idols can crop up in the kingdom. Lord, we'd like to pray right now that in our lives, that Jesus can reign supreme. We pray that you will move into our hearts. Do for us, Lord, what we cannot do for ourselves. All of our promises are sometimes like ropes of sand. Help us, Lord, to focus on filling our minds with your truth, to spend time in prayer, in really studying the word. And then we pray the Holy Spirit will bring the words to life. You've told us these words are spirit and they are life, but they must be spiritually discerned. So we know we need your spirit. Cleanse us, Lord, from our sins. Pour out your spirit on this place. This whole event is the result of people wanting to draw near to you. And Lord, I pray that you will honor your promise now and draw near to us. Even right now, as we paused here in prayer, I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to each person. Help them know what it is you want us to do. If there's something specific that you want us to change or to hand over to you. Lord, take it right now. And we ask that you will then help us to be new creatures because of this. We thank you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.